What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Quacking PDX, the number one podcast for Oregonian sports fanatics. Today is a special episode with my first guest, my dad. My dad is a longtime Oregon Duck fan. He was born in Portland 48 years ago. Uh, he's been an Oregon Duck fan all his life. And today, we are going to talk about the Pac-12, the history of the conference and uh, the collapse of the Pac-12 conference that's happened this year. What's up, Dad? Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. What a what an honor to be part of Quacken PDX. Is this the number one podcast for Oregon sports fanatics or Oregonian sports fanatics? Like, do you have to be an Oregon fan to like this or just a fan of sports in Oregon? Just a fan of sports in Oregon. So Beaver fans, Trailblazer fans, they are all welcome here, huh? Yeah, although I don't think a Beaver fan would uh, enjoy this podcast very much. Well, thanks for revealing my age. That was really, that's a fun tidbit. And (laughs) yeah, I definitely have been a a Pac-10, 12 fan for a long time and an Oregon Duck fan too. So certainly seen the rise to relevance nationally that's occurred during my lifetime, which has been pretty exciting. Uh, And certainly lots of uh, ups and downs over the last, you know, decade or so. I would say more ups than downs, that's for sure. Yeah. But I can't wait to talk about the (laughs) the Pac-12 and its history and and some of the recent uh, changes and ultimate collapse that has uh, come upon us. Yeah. Well, my first question is, uh, what was the Pac-10 like uh, back when you were growing up watching Oregon football? Well, I'm glad you asked me what the Pac-10 was like and not the Pac-8, because that was even further back, Uh, or even before that, the Pacific Coast Conference. But when I was a kid, yeah, it was the Pac-10, and uh, it was awesome. So this was like, you know, West Coast sports, and if we're speaking specifically about football, it was West Coast football, and it was truly sort of a unique and very geographically limited sort of um, product. And, you know, as a kid, I remember two things. It was impossible to ever watch the games on TV uh, because they were always on Saturday uh, and never on TV. So I think that uh, that was like something that made it harder to actually follow how the teams were doing. You'd like listen to them on the radio from time to time or... Um, you know, occasionally you'd see like the news highlights, uh, on the late local news, it would be like some guy literally standing on the sideline, uh, from the local newscast videotaping the action on the field. It was not actually like, here's a video clip of the game. Cause most of the games when I was a kid were not actually on TV. Were they not on TV because uh, West coast football just didn't have enough hype around it? Well, I think college football has changed a lot in the last like 25 to 30 years. And part of that, which I hope we get into today, is sort of the emergence of the Pac-12 as a a conference, uh, because that really transitioned like a period of time where it was um, where 
the, the games were not on TV and then they were on TV, but hard to find. And then with the emergence of the Pac-12, it was like all of a sudden every game was going to be on TV. And hmm. that was super exciting. When that happened in 2010, I remember just rejoicing, thinking, oh, my word, I'm going to have a chance to watch every game. Yeah. Uh, and as a, you know, as a kid being able to watch like maybe one game every other year, if they happen to get on national TV was, uh, was all you ever got. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, as, you know, as an Oregon fan, I was a longtime Oregon yeah. fan. Oregon wasn't very good back then, right? No, they, um, you know, the, the, they had Rich Brooks as their coach back in the 80s, and everyone knew he was a good coach, but they couldn't recruit top-level players because who wanted to come to the rainy Willamette Valley and yeah. play football? Um, but then they got a couple of good players. They had this quarterback who went on to play for the 49ers and is now like an assistant coach somewhere in the NFL, Bill Musgrave. Hmm. And I remember him as a freshman. He started a quarterback, and I was like, this guy's going to be really good. Uh, and he was really good, and he ultimately led them to the Freedom Bowl, which at the time was some like lower level bowl game. Uh, but it was really exciting because that game was on like TV, national TV, huh? Well, it was on local. It was on like Channel Twelve, but uh, which is today Fox. But uh, yeah, it was like sort of cool to be able to. It was really cool to be able to watch them. Yeah, uh, actually play a game. So you thought, well, maybe there's there's a future here for Oregon football. And then, um, and then they went to the Rose bowl, uh, with Danny O'Neill as the quarterback. Oh gosh. When was that? That was like the early nineties. And that was sort of the beginning, uh, the beginning of it all. And then Phil Knight, uh, as everyone knows, you know, donated, uh, lots of, of, of energy, you know, money resources. Uh, but I think he really created the energy around Oregon football, which then, from the mid nineties to then the early two thousands, like quickly became uh, sort of a nationally relevant brand and yeah. started to recruit at a level that uh, isn't the level that they're recruiting at now, but was enough to sort of propel them to, um, to a lot greater success. And where bowl games were like every year now, the expectation rather than just this, uh, you know, once every decade. Yeah, back of, then it was, yeah. it was lucky to be bowl eligible, huh? Oh yeah, no. If you had a winning record, I, they only played eleven games back then. But if you were six and five, I mean, that was just a fantastic season. That's a big deal. Yeah, four and seven. I mean, there's the uh, game. I forget the year, but early '80s. Oregon and Oregon State played. I think at at uh, what was called Parker Stadium at the time is now uh, is now Research Stadium, and uh, they didn't have overtime uh, back in the '80s in college. <laughs> And it like poured down rain. There was a ridiculous number of turnovers, and the game finished zero to zero. Wow! It was a and that zero. was the final. That was the final, man. And they called it the toilet bowl because <laughs> it was one of the worst games ever played. And that was sort of typical. It's like Oregon and Oregon State would play, and you knew that at least one team would get a win. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Because Oregon State wasn't any good back then either, huh? Yeah, I mean, both teams have had their, you know like very short-lived success they had lucky seasons yeah but uh but nothing like we've you know been uh been sort of blessed with in the last couple decades and who were the good teams in the in the pack 10 well it, you know i was thinking about this knowing that i was gonna have an opportunity to come on this podcast um and it was really it was a league that was dominated by southern california 
And so yeah. I think that that is relevant as we think about why the Pac-12 is breaking up. But if you look back at uh, before my time in the 70s, even a little bit into the in the late 60s uh, and 80s, like every other year, uh, practically, uh, the the Pac-10 championship at that time was won by USC. And so yeah. they were just they were totally dominant. They're they, so used to winning everything. Yeah, they they won everything. They were the team that was on TV every week. If there was going to be a, a, a Pac-10 game that was on TV, and they recruited all the good players who were from the you know metropolitan areas in Southern California and, and the Bay Area, and um, yeah, I, I, and and everyone else was just like doing their best to to try to be competitive, but. But USC and to some degree UCLA, I mean, just totally dominated the scene uh, for several decades. And they, you know, they had great players, Heisman Trophy winners, uh, Charles White and OJ Simpson. And uh, of course, we remember for other things now, Marcus Allen. I mean, all these incredible uh, running backs. I think they called USC like running back U because of the success that they had. Hmm. But this is getting way back there. This is even before my time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, USC has dominated, dominated for so long before uh, Oregon's decade of dominance. I know USC was really good in the in the two thousands too. There with Pete Carroll. Well, yeah. If you look back at the history of the final years of the Pac ten before it becomes the Pac twelve, uh, you have this emergence of Oregon all of a sudden being a nationally relevant and and you know not an infrequent conference champion. Uh, after that original Rose Bowl birth, uh, and they had a lot of success with uh, with Joey Harrington and uh, some of the folks that uh, that followed him. Uh, Mike Bellotti, as the coach at the time, was very successful, and and then that sort of ended in terms of a period of like emergent Oregon dominance when hmm. Pete, when Pete Carroll became somewhat of an accidental, you know, huge success at USC. I think he was like their fourth or fifth candidate that they. Uh, that they wanted to hire for that position. Oh, and interesting. Just, and just instantly was like a huge success. And then he uh, he recruited all these amazing and developed all these amazing players. So they had uh, Carson Palmer, who was an NFL quarterback, and then Matt Weinert, uh, and then the guy, um, what was his name? The butt fumble guy. Uh, Mark Sanchez, who played for the Jets. I mean, a lot of NFL uh, quarterbacks. quarterbacks and then uh, and then great running backs too, Lindell White and R- Reggie, Reggie Bush. Bush. I mean, they were just like almost uh, an unstoppable force in uh, the conference for uh, for you know a, a better part of of a decade there in the in the two thousands. And Oregon again, sort of like took a back seat. It was like, okay, Oregon, you're not on the same level as what USC. Yeah, was. and Oregon had finally caught up, and then USC just went on to another level. They won back-to-back national championships, right? They, 05, 06. They did. And, I, you know, I'd have to check the, the record, but there's some, you know, some of that is, I think, had to be vacated because of NCAA rule violations. And so the staunchest of USC fans would say that it was because of unfair treatment uh, by the NCAA of Reggie Bush, I think. Well, he like, lost his Heisman. He lost his Heisman. He got, like... I don't know, a house or a car or something from, uh, from donors uh, at USC. And then they had to, you know, vacate all those wins and they may have vacated. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, some of their PAC 12 and even national titles. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then and then Oregon hired Chip Kelly, and then they became the the better team, and that hasn't stopped, right? I mean, in uh, what oh eight oh nine, we were talking about this yesterday. Yeah, well, it was inter- an interesting transition, certainly uh, as as Carroll was leaving USC, perhaps ushered out by this, you know, NCAA scandal about Reggie Bush's improper benefits, you know, in comes Chip Kelly. And Chip's, I remember his first year as offensive coordinator at Oregon, he just transformed the Oregon team from being one that would score, you know, 20, 30 points on a good day to one that was scoring 40 points. And then they had this performance against the the beavers in the civil war where i think they just unloaded on scored like 68 points or something oh, man that's awesome <laughs> ridiculous yeah <laughs> and uh we're sort of unstoppable and then like quickly people figured out that he was the brains behind the operation and they sort of ushered him quickly into made him the head coach the head coach and in his first year uh they made it to the rose bowl and it was like the first yeah. rose bowl trip for oregon since you know uh Rich Brooks had been the coach back in 1990. Wow. wow. 495. Yeah, and then you're, you're right. That ushered in this period of Oregon's dominance um, that then really uh, ushered in the, the, uh, the, the era of the Pac-12. So in 2012, and I, and I still think this is going to be debated in, you know, by Pac-12 historians, if they exist, maybe I'll be one of them. Maybe I can write a book. About <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, but you know, was it ever? Was it ultimately the right move for this conference that was so geographically unique, right? And that's what I remember as a kid. You remember back to those early comments that I said in this interview. Um, is it was like this was West Coast specific sports. Yeah. And when they when they became the Pac-12, they were trying to become the Pac-16. I don't know if you know this, but Who else do they want to add? They wanted to add Texas and Oklahoma. Oh man. And were right on the verge of adding Texas, Oklahoma, and I think it would have been like uh Oklahoma State and maybe one of the school Texas Tech perhaps. Hmm. Um and there would have been like an east and a west and it would have been this, you know, man, spanning I mean, a large Pac-12 east and west. That I can't really imagine that, but it would have been an incredibly powerful league. And you have to credit yeah. Larry Scott, the guy who gets a lot of criticism for the death of the Pac-12, uh, as being truly kind of visionary before the era of like just absurd conference expansion. He was thinking in ways that other people weren't. And, you know, part of this comes back to like the, the very sort of um, fractures that under have undermined the Pac-12, Pac-10 conference for a long time, and that is equal distribution of revenue or unequal distribution of revenue. And uh, Texas would have only come on board if they could have a gotten, bunch more money, gotten a bigger piece of the pie yeah. than everybody else. They wanted to have their own network, whereas they would have allowed the rest of the conference to have like a shared Pac-12 network. But they wanted to have what they still have today, which is the Longhorn Network, which is an opportunity for, you know, additional revenue. Yeah. But I think that, you know, if you think about the West Coast and sort of some of the more liberal values that exist out here, you know, equality of resources is certainly one of those things. And that has never been like a perfectly shared vision of the Pac-12 teams. Um, I'm sure USC wanted more money when our uh, when the last Pac-12 media deal was created, right? 
exactly. So in the in the in the old media days, like during my childhood, uh, media deals, I guess they would they would play games on ABC, and the more you were on ABC, the more money you got. Yeah. And so, who was on ABC every week for the Pac-10 game of the week was USC. So USC would get all the money, and teams like Oregon, Oregon State would get a, a small fraction of that. And then when they uh, when they created the Pac-12 and had this new sort of equal um, revenue sharing model, then you know everyone was getting more. But USC was like, why are we? Why is Oregon State? Why is Washington State getting the Making same the same amount of money? Them, yeah, when we're the one that that are really driving, you know, all the TV ratings, bringing in the money to the conference. Yeah, and I think that that sort of fracture, you know, it existed throughout the, you know the tenure of the Pac-12 conference and, and might have contributed to USC saying, hey, we don't want to be, you know, held down by these teams that are uh, not deserving of the same sort of piece of the pie as we are. Yeah. No, I mean, for the, for all the time that I've been a avid Duck fan, you know, Oregon has, has been the best team in the Pac-12, but, you know, it wasn't the case for you growing up, but I mean, the last few times that I've watched Oregon play USC, you know, we've beat them every time. Um, in 2019, Herbert went to the Coliseum and beat them soundly. And in uh, 2021, the conference champ, or was it the 2020 Pac-12 championship? Uh, Oregon was a pretty heavy underdog and we beat USC. So, um, and then last night, uh, we, and I, I think that USC is still mad about that because Oregon didn't have to play the week. That week conference championship? That, yeah. No, the, that was hilarious. In the COVID year because it really should have been Washington that would have played. But yeah. Washington was um, was ineligible because they had too many people infected with COVID. And Oregon was supposed to play Washington weeks before, but they couldn't because Washington had COVID. So they, um, they had uh, – uh, Oregon had a bye week the week before – playing in the Pac-12 championship game. And you, I think USC is still mad about that. Yeah, and no, I mean, for everyone who doesn't know, uh, Oregon had this great season with Justin Herbert senior year, and they won the Rose Bowl, and it was really an awesome time. And then the following year, you know, they definitely were not the same team at all. And I think in the COVID season, they went, they played five games, went three and two, and uh, shouldn't have made the conference championship. But then because uh, of COVID, the championship was in Los Angeles, in the Coliseum, and they be a ranked USC team. It was it was really a hilarious game for for Oregon. And they might have been even been undefeated, right? USC. I think they might have been. Yeah. They didn't play very many games. It might have been just like four and zero or five and zero. But yeah, yeah. But Oregon has beaten USC now seven of the last nine times they played, which is you know spans kind of most of these years of the of the Pac twelve conference, which you know is fairly significant when you think about like who's really driving you know, the success of the league and being sort of the brand, the national brand, certainly it's hard to compete with Southern California. But if you look at, you know, TV ratings for this year, uh, Oregon games, you know, far exceed what USC games have, have brought in in terms of eyeballs to televisions. Yeah. And so I, I think that should lead into our uh, true kind of conversation about the collapse of the Pac-12 and how it relates to USC and um, money and all that. And we have plenty of time, so. 
That sounds great. Yeah, no, it's a favorite topic of mine. It's a sad topic because, uh, you know, it's been this great league that has really defined West Coast you sports. Know, sports for, yeah. for uh, you know, over 100 years. They said last night that, like, what, they've been playing Oregon Duck football since 1894 or something. I mean, this is, uh, there's a lot of history here. Uh, and the conference in various iterations has been around for a long, long time. And so why did it break apart? I mean, I think that people are going to debate this for, for a long, long time. I think that, you know, without a doubt, the, the TV networks played um, played a huge role. Yeah, no money. And uh, yeah, and to what degree greed and money uh, contributed. You know, I have a hard time believing that, that it's all about the schools wanting more money, but, you know, they have to answer to their, you know, financial people and their boards and they have to uh sort of make enough money in the revenue to pay all the bills which are increasing as coaches make more and more money and yeah i mean lincoln rally just got this like 40 million dollars a year contract so i gotta afford that yeah they have to figure out a way to pay the bills and now the bills are going to be higher as they you know like with usc and oregon entering a a league that's going to require more travel and probably going to require you know more competitive wages for their coaches and assistant coaches. Uh, but I think that the, the, probably the, the entity that is most to blame, uh, at least from everything that I've read is, is Fox. Uh, so Fox sports who previously had the contract with the PAC 12, yeah. uh, owns like 51% of the media rights for the big 10. So basically controls the big 10 media rights, wanted, uh, a massive big 10, uh, TV deal. And so how are they going to do that with, you know, what is largely a a Midwestern and sort of lower tier East coast, you know, collegiate sports league. Yeah. And they weren't going to do it. No, I mean, the the big 10 has two, three exciting teams that just don't get great. Don't get great reviews. Right. Yeah. And so if you look back at the big 10 over the last 10, you know, even 20 years, like it's been Ohio State and Michigan and sometimes Penn State, right? And occasionally Wisconsin and occasionally Iowa. Uh, but for the most part, it's Ohio State and Michigan State. And that's who people turn in to watch. And so, you know, Fox said the only way we're going to get this massive media deal in a place where a lot of people live, right? So yeah. the Midwest and the, the, you know, the, I guess to some degree, the East Coast is kind of where a bulk of the country lives. So they naturally have more eyeballs turning on uh, to their games than you're going to have on the West Coast. And the, they figured the only way they could do that was to expand in response to the SEC's expansion to add Oklahoma and Texas. So they added uh, USC and UCLA with this dream of like, you know, bringing the West Coast. But you know, I remember. I remember the day when this occurred. It was. Oh, like I do too. June of twenty twenty two, I think. And uh, yeah, it was just like, what in the world? This the is LA crazy. schools have are joining the Big Ten in twenty twenty four. No, it totally shocked me. It's really, it was really sad to see uh, USC do this to the West Coast brand. Yeah, and I mean USC and UCLA left, and then uh, it was like roughly a year later. And Colorado left, and then it was shortly thereafter that Oregon and Washington left, uh, and then and then the uh, the so-called four corner schools uh, left after that. So who's really to blame for all this? Um, 
you know, my guess would be that most of the teams wanted to stay in the league, but yeah. they didn't want to stay in a diminished version of the league. And so without USC and UCLA, you know, the television revenue is never going to be as good. The competition, the national perception, the exposure was never going to be as good. Uh, so I think once they left, everybody else was sort of half in, half out. Like, is there a better deal to be had out there? And I think, you know, when you're a public school like UCLA that doesn't get a lot of additional funding for athletics. Private school, you mean? Or no, public. Yeah, yeah UCLA is a public UCLA's school. UCLA is a public school. USC is a private. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when you're UCLA and you've got a, you know, they actually have run a budget deficit in sports. You've got to figure out a yeah. way to make enough money to actually maintain, uh, you know, your, your entire sort of list of sports, you know, so that you don't have to start cutting things. And, uh, the, the attractiveness of like the $65 million or whatever they were promised from the big, from the big 10 was hard to turn down. But I think it was really more USC that said, Hey, we, uh, because we're still uncomfortable with this idea of equal revenue sharing amongst the conference, we, uh, feel like we deserve better. So let's, let's sign on for, uh, for this thing that looks shiny and is going to set us apart. And of course, there's been lots of speculation that when USC went to the Big Ten, there was some sort of um, unwritten agreement that they, the Big Ten would also not invite Oregon. Yeah, no, it to me comes down to USC being extremely petty over this. You know, they were so used to dominating the Pac-12 for or the Pac-10 for so long. And then uh, the Chip Kelly era and Oregon really took over as the, the premier West Coast team. And USC didn't like that, you know, uh, Oregon in the last decade has recruited extremely heavily out of the LA areas and have, uh, picked up a lot of big time recruits, right? I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, wasn't he, uh, out of the first one that I think of the LA area backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, really we've been stealing the LA recruits straight out of the university of Southern California. So I think USC, um, didn't like this and, uh, you know, said, hey, let's go to this conference where uh, we will, you know, in the Big Ten, we will once again become the the premier West Coast looking team for these recruits. You know, it's it'd be really hard for Oregon to compete with that, you know. And so I do think um, with the current Big Ten commissioner, they had a little unwritten yeah, agreement. Let's leave Oregon out of this. Let's, uh, as USC, let's try to to try to beat Oregon in this petty way, which uh, ultimately also is the downfall of the Pac-12, and it makes me really sad. Ultimately, didn't work, right? Oregon is more emboldened well, now work. as a rival to USC uh, than they've ever been. Yeah, they, I think there were three five stars, uh, or at least two, that Oregon got out of Southern California that USC wanted, and I think that really fueled the 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 uh sense that like how do we figure out a way to be better than Oregon you yeah know, there was Kayvon Thibodeau as you mentioned Justin Flo who ultimately never did anything for Oregon but uh was a five he's a big name you know defensive linebacker from yeah. uh from Southern California and it didn't seem to matter who the Ducks coach was right if it was Chip Kelly if it was uh, uh Mario Cristobal who certainly was a great recruiter and now Dan Lanning uh Oregon has had a ton of success, uh, yeah. you know, sniping 
great talent out of uh, out out of California. Yeah, and I think part of that, you know, is Phil Knight how much he's invested into into the program to make Oregon such a fun place to come play at. And uh, yeah, Oregon has been such a good recruiting school. Yeah, well, I mean, we were fortunate enough to go down there yesterday for the game, and you can just see it. Like everything around the stadium is just immaculate, and uh, the uh, the academic learning center. I mean, when they get a chance to just experience all this on their recruiting visits. I'm sure it sets Oregon apart. And a lot of that comes from that donation. You know, also being known as a uniform, uniform university, you know, having the best uniforms in all of college football. That's a, it's a fun thing for players to be a part of. Yeah. And I've sort of seen that from the beginning when everyone used to make fun of Oregon and then they figured out that like, it was only old people that were making fun of Oregon and that the recruits and the players were actually loving it and really drawn to this. And now you see everybody doing it. Yeah. Even the teams with really traditional uniforms like University of Washington, you know, they're still figuring out ways to like, let's have a white helmet. Get creative. Yeah, Yeah. let's have a shiny purple helmet. Yeah, no, and then, you know, the, uh, what I find interesting is the Big Ten commissioner, or they got a new commissioner, right? And uh, and that's kind of what led to Oregon and Washington being asked to join the, the conference. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting how it all went down because when USC and UCLA joined the Big Ten, uh, I sort of thought, oh well, they'll they'll want Oregon and Washington, and then it quickly came out that they didn't want Oregon and Washington. And- no, it seemed like Oregon and Washington were obvious choices. You know, the Portland and Seattle uh, Northwest uh, viewers. There's quite a there's a lot of people out here, and two big brands of football, so. And the quality of the teams, right? I mean, and two great football teams, yeah. Yeah, very much the equals of in the last couple of decades of the Southern California schools. But for some reason, yeah, they didn't want them. Uh, and then I think you're right. I think the new commissioner sort of changed how people uh, viewed the topic. And then I think as the as the Pac-12 started to splinter, uh, and then you know a huge piece of it was this TV deal that they um, that was at least on the table from Apple TV. And I think that was kind of the beginning of the end. That yeah, was the best but, deal that they could get. Yeah. I don't have Apple TV, and uh, I probably would have gotten it if the Pac-12... If that had happened. ...had gone onto Apple. But I I think I'd be in the minority of people who would sign up for that just to watch Pac-12 sports. And they were saying that there would have been, like, an extra an extra fee for, like, the Pac-12 package. So... Um, so you'd never see those teams just randomly, you know, you wouldn't walk into a restaurant and see yeah. the ducks on, you would have to very intentionally be, uh, selecting, which is, which was a crazy thought because, you know, Oregon has been ranked in the top as a top 10 team in the country. The last like five seasons, you know, I mean, we're currently number six, uh, last year we were in the top 10. We're just, we've been such a, such a good team that. To, to see the Oregon program fall, you know, it just couldn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, the Big Ten offered to take in Oregon and Washington um, on like five years of a half share of the revenue, which um, even for Oregon, you know, the $33 million half share re- revenue is like the same amount that they would have gotten with this uh, Apple TV Pac-12 deal. So it doesn't hurt Oregon financially at all. Um, especially with their Nike connections, but you know, it's, it's too bad to see 
how all this happened and the, the money side of it and the recruiting side of it and the relevancy side of just maintaining your, uh, your standard of football. Yeah, it's hard to know, you know, how much is just the money. I think certainly for the networks, it's all about the money. For the schools, it's a combination of like the money is needed to pay the bills. The money is needed to grow the program. The money is yeah. needed to stay relevant. I, I actually feel for Oregon, it was never about the money. Uh, and yeah, no, I agree with maybe that. it will be in the future, you know, if Phil Knight's money is not available forever. But um, but but right now, you know, Oregon's one of the wealthiest teams in in college sports because of the benefit of their donors. But what they couldn't afford to do was become irrelevant. And yeah. so I think that the the transition to the Big Ten, although, you know, less ideal in many ways, because you're going to lose a lot of historic uh, rivalries and connections with Oregon State, obviously, and Washington State, and even the other California schools that the Ducks, you know, like they played Cal last week. And as we were listening to the pregame show, they talked about all this great history that Oregon and Hal, Cal have together. And no one's even talking about that when you think about the breakup of the Pac-12, right? It's not the loss of, uh, of games against these teams who've been playing for a long, long time. It's maybe just talk about the loss of your main rival who you're not going to be playing. Anymore. Yeah. But no, I mean, Oregon and Stanford have played like every year and it's always, Oh man, is Stanford going to upset us this year? Like they did last year. You know, we just, we won't have that same experience. You know? Yeah. No, no. In the, in the early uh, era of the, of the PAC 12, I mean, that was the matchup Stanford against Oregon. And I think yeah. for like the first five years or four years of the conference, uh, it was one of those two teams that won the championship. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that rivalry is going to be gone. Those teams will never play each other again. Uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, ultimately for Oregon, it was more about staying relevant, uh, staying uh, in that discussion as an elite team, staying on TV in, uh, in markets across the country, in recruits, uh, houses, and... Um, yeah, I mean, who knows where this is all headed? I think it's if there's anything that the last like couple of years have told us about the direction of realignment in college athletics is that nothing is ever finished, and that uncertainty and uh, and unpredictability is is the only real guide that we have. Um, but I think it, at at this point, um, you got to like the idea of Oregon being on CBS or Fox or NBC, you know almost every week in the Big Ten. I mean, that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, no, it will. And uh, I'm excited to uh, see a little bit less uh, East Coast bias on Oregon now that they're in the Big Ten. And once they start winning those bigger matchups, you know, it'll be harder for um, former Alabama players to say that uh, <laughs> Alabama should be ranked ahead of us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, as my dad said, we were able to go last night to the uh, Pac-12 After Dark Oregon versus USC, which uh, before the season, USC, you know, was ranked number five in the country. And uh, throughout the year, they have uh, fallen out of the rankings, which I find hilarious. You know, they, they hired Lincoln Riley and they got Caleb Williams and uh, left the Pac-12. They uh, even at the beginning of this season thought they were so much better than us. And uh, Washington beat them. Uh, Oregon beat them. Utah beat them, you know, we've all, we all beat them. And uh, just to see Oregon dominate the, the line of scrimmage against them and to, to beat Caleb Williams in USC and for Bo Nix to, to win the battle of the, 
of the Heisman looking quarterbacks. And uh, we had a great exchange at the end of the game um, before we went on the field, uh, yelling some things at the at the USC players. And uh, I got the chance to to yell at Caleb Williams, you know, where's your dog at? Because, um, you know, last last week he said he wanted to go uh, cuddle with his dog after Washington beat him. And uh, I can now proudly say that I was on the receiving end of Caleb Williams' middle finger, which uh, is something I will brag about for a long time, you know, with his uh, projected number one overall NFL draft pick. So uh, that was, was it, fun. That was fun for me. <laughs> it was a proud moment as a parent. <laughs> right up there. <laughs> no, it was, it was a great game. And uh, I think Oregon will continue to dominate USC going into the Big Ten. Um, with Dan Lanning's SEC style of play and uh, Lincoln Riley's lack of defense. So, no, yeah, it was interesting because uh, at the start of the season, you know, Oregon, quickly into the season, Oregon, Washington, and Utah appeared to all be top 10 teams. And within a five week span, the Ducks were supposed to play um, at Washington, at Utah, and then at home against SC. And yeah. this was going to be like three potential top 10 matchups in uh, in five weeks. And it was like, wow, this is... It was a, it was a crazy schedule. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then USC fell off, and it was like this was not uh, the game it, it was originally billed to be. But it was still, uh, I thought, a pretty great matchup. USC still got the same players that were ranked highly. And um, Oregon controlled the game you know, most of the way, but uh, didn't really put USC away until the final minutes. Yeah, no, it was it was an electric crowd. Uh, definitely the most exciting uh, Oregon game I've ever been to at Autzen. So it was it was a great experience for us to go. Yeah, it was great. Our our tickets, as you know, had those special like cushiony seats that we just yeah. lucked into that we never sat on because uh, we were standing That's, the entire game. Standing the entire game. So it was, it was, it was so awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that's about it for this episode. This has been a lot of fun to talk about the history of the Pac-12 and uh, to reminisce. Um, thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking with me about all this. Yeah, no, it was an, it was an honor to join PDX or Quack and PDX. Uh, yeah. Look forward to uh, another opportunity when Oregon uh, heads to the national championship game, perhaps, or maybe just the Pac-12 yeah. championship game. But uh, yeah, thanks. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I'll give a shout out here. My dad runs a uh, West Coast sports Twitter account. Um, what's the name of it? Left Coast Hoops. That's at Left Coast Hoops on Twitter um, or X now. So go give that a follow. Uh, he loves to loves to talk about Oregon uh, or West Coast sports, uh, football and basketball. So uh, it's devoted to West Coast bias. So <laughs> we need more uh, sites related to that. Yeah, we do. All right. Well, thank you, uh, thank you for coming on, and thank you guys for listening. We'll uh, catch you next time.